Well, I'm curious, does anybody out there ever wish that they could tell the future? <laughs> you ever dream about that? Like being able to just kind of predict what was going to happen? Uh, if you think about, we've got a picture here from the Microsoft Corporation. I think it's like 1978. All right, there you go. Uh, I think Bill Gates is down here on the left. Uh, but, you know, knowing what you know now, you would have invested. But if it was 1978 and you saw that, would you have invested? No, I doubt it, right? And, and then also, uh, we've got Apple. You know, so this is kind of the first Apple computer. Is it amazing to know whoever thought back then that that would become this, right? And who would have ever been able to dream that? And again, would you have invested in that? And it's, but knowing the, knowing the future, of course you would have. You know, you would have bought a lottery ticket, you know, last week too. And so there's a lot of ways that, that people throughout the centuries have, have always tried to wonder, you know, what's going to happen in the future. And, and they tie it into what is God's will? You know, what would, knowing that God knows the future. So how can I tap into that? What would, how can I get God to help me predict what's going to happen in the future? Well, I've got some quotes here of people that kind of got things wrong as they were predicting the future. The founder of Warner Brothers, who was a big fan of silent movies, uh, his quote was, who wants to hear actors talk? <laughs> he thought it was always going to be silent movies. Variety magazine in 1955 about the future of rock and roll, they said, it'll be gone by June. No, good thing it's not. Um, the, the president of Michigan uh, Bank was advising Henry Ford's lawyer not to invest in the Ford Motor Company in 1903. And he said, the horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty, a fad. I think the guy invested anyway. But uh, there was a movie producer in 1946 that said, television won't last because people will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. <laughs> yeah, maybe so, but we ain't looking at plywood boxes anymore, right? Um, and, and so I was thinking, okay, so what about, what are some predictions now that, you know, people are saying, well, you know, in the year's future, this is what's going to happen. So I looked some of these up this week. They said that soon we'll be able to communicate with the dead by virtual reality. I doubt it. Uh, nice try. But um, another one, they said that the, this might happen, that the kitchen will restock itself because products, when they're low, they'll send out an alert and the drones will, uh, will deliver the products right to your door. I could see that happening. It's kind of in, in the works. They say that dinosaur zoos with r real woolly mammoths uh, will be in place. I'm like, didn't we see Jurassic Park? <laughs> Have we not seen, you know, are we going to be a little more careful? Um, they say that there will be contact lenses that will let you browse the internet. If you think your teenager is a zombie right now, just wait. <laughs> you know, if they think that this is bad, just wait till they're like, you know, walking around the streets. But whatever. Uh, they said they're going to be able to make food entirely out of algae, which I think we already have. I think we just call it kale. Um, uh, bathroom mirrors that are going to, with LED displays that are going to connect to the internet and check your moles for melanoma. Thanks. Nanobots in your bloodstream that are going to protect you from getting sick. Uh, but they're also going to record your personal thoughts and upload it to a data mining cloud. But yeah, that's no big deal. Um, smart dust that's going to have tiny little sensors in it that are going to record everything happening in the world. Creepy. Uh, and then also televisions, which are going to emit smells that go along with the shows that you're watching, which is going to be fantastic when you're watching Dirty Jobs and Walking Dead, you know? Uh, so you'll... <laughs> Family room smells. Uh, but we all wish we could tell the future, right? Don't we all kind of wish that there was some way we could work tomorrow to our advantage today? And throughout the years, the centuries, there's been a lot of ways that people have tried to do this and read the mind of the gods or, or the one true God, that kind of thing. They, they used to think that the, um, the liver was some kind of has magical power, so they'd cut open an animal, kill an animal, cut it open, put the liver out, and that whatever way the liver would twitch and 
quiver or whatever. They thought that they could know the mind of the gods by the liver. Whatever. Uh, you know, Bible roulette where you kind of dip and skip or you kind of like just open the Bible and boom like that and pick a verse, you know, and think that God is going to speak to you somehow through that, which is not so great sometimes when you're going through Matthew and it says, you know, then you'll be handed over and be persecuted and put to death. Like that's not so encouraging. If you're looking for a real word of encouragement from the Lord, you know, that might not do the trick. Um, Another one is like, they, they talk about fleeces. In the Old Testament, there's a story about Gideon where he like sets out these little fleeces and tries to predict God's word by what these circumstantial things that happen with the fleeces. We don't suggest that. Uh, there's also you know, present day prophets, who's people who say that they speak for God and that, you know, they're hearing these special revelations from the Lord. And uh, there's a guy you may have heard recently, Jesse Duplantis, uh, who's asking for money for his fourth plane he needs $54 million for the Falcon 7X private jet so that he can efficiently travel the world to spread a prosperity gospel. He says if Jesus was here, he wouldn't settle for a donkey. He'd be on the Falcon 7X. And so he needs one. And the reason he needs one, he says, is so that he can stop flying commercial because when he does, he's so famous that he gets, keeps getting stopped and asked for, you know, people are asking him to pray with them. I mean, can you imagine? Anyway. So I'm sure that Jesse Duplantis is, you know, talking about how God told him that he needs that plane. And it's like, yeah, sure he did. And so anyway, so there's all these different ways that people try to, to gather and understand the mind of the Lord and things like that. So we're going to look at a really fun story today. And uh, it's, in, it's in 1 Kings chapter 22. So if you've got a Bible, if you want to turn there, if you want, you got it on your phone or whatever, if you want to turn that on and go to 1 Kings 22, it's in the Old Testament. We're continuing on with a series uh, called uh, Tell Me a Story, which is kind of like campfire stories from the Old Testament uh, over the summer. And this is a really fun one. I think you guys are going to enjoy it because what we're talking about is because in our, wor in our world today, there's a lot of confusion and we need some biblical discernment because there's a lot of people kind of saying that they're speaking for God and, and a lot of it will contradict. A lot of it is kind of all over the place, really. I think a lot of people approach God like a Build-A-Bear store. You know, they can kind of go in and craft it just the way they like it, you know, and make God kind of say what they want him to say. In fact, years ago, somebody had said that God created us in his image, and we've been returning the favor ever since. I think that's kind of true. Like, we, we like to form and fashion God to, to be just the way that we like it. But, but biblical discernment would say, no, no, we, we can understand uh, clearly what, and the ability to understand and interpret and apply God's truth skillfully in our lives. And it's hard to know God's will, really, unless you know what his word says. If you don't know his word and what he's actually telling us clearly, then it'd be really hard to know what he wants for our lives. In fact, years ago, remember the old bracelets everybody used to wear, WWJD, right? Does anybody remember what that stood for? What would Jesus do, right? And I was a youth pastor at the time, and I used to always kind of, because I'm kind of snarky, and I'd kind of say, well, do you know what he would do? Talking to teenagers, I'm like, dude, you never read your Bible. How do you know what Jesus would do? <laughs> you know? I mean, really, why would you wear that and, and talk about, well, I'll do what Jesus would do in this situation? Yeah, well, you, maybe Jesus would read his Bible first, and know what, what he was supposed to do. Anyway, I got myself in trouble a little bit with that one. But, um, but the Bible, as we know, is very reliable. Okay, it is. And, and there's a lot, if we understand, I know some people in our culture will say, oh, it's a thousands of years old. It's an old ancient book and all these stories. Oh, there's always these contradictions and things like that. And I would just say, if somebody ever says the Bible's full of contradictions, just say, oh, yeah, uh, can you name me one? Amen. Just say, you know, just say, Go ahead. And, well, I mean, if it's full of them, surely you know one of them. And 
trust me, you know, that'll end that conversation. And if they do come up with something, I guarantee you there's an easy explanation, right? And so the Bible is incredibly reliable. And so it's much more reliable than our intuition or our gut. It's much more reliable than what your mama said. It's much more reliable than your own reasoning or what you read on the internet or what your friends or coworkers are saying. It's even more reliable than what Simon Cowell says. So that's the title of our sermon. Is I, I, I wanted to you know, kind of have our main idea just as the title, that God's word is true above the world's echo. I'll explain a little bit more what that means. But So we got this really fun story in 1 Kings today. And let me, let me go back a little bit and trace a little bit of the history, just so you know kind of where we are in the God's bigger story. So kiddos, I'm going to need you guys to help me with this. So what do we always do? We go, Abraham, say it loud. You got to say it loud and proud. Come on, guys. Abraham. Nice job, Rowan, nice job. Okay, that's good. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. That's how God started with, his, with the Jewish people. So everybody else, you gotta jump in. Come on now. Everybody gotta do the hands too. Don't be sitting there. Okay, so ready? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Good, so that's kind of how we trace God's lineage. He starts out with Abraham. That's the father of Abraham. He's gonna start the Jewish people through him. It goes to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph. Joseph was uh, the second youngest of all of Isaac's, uh, Jacob's sons. And his sons are jealous. They uh, sell Joseph into slavery. He goes down to Egypt and becomes, but he rises to the top in Egypt. And soon there's a famine. And so the whole family, the whole nation of Israel would go down to Egypt so they could have some food. And they would end up having favor at the beginning, but they would later be slaves. For 400 years, they would be slaves in the land of Egypt until Moses comes along and he tells Pharaoh, he says... Let my people go, right? So he let my people go. Pharaoh doesn't want them. There's the plagues. They, they, Moses marches them. They, they get out. They march through the Red Sea. Uh, 40 years wandering in the desert. They finally get themselves up to the edge of the promised land. Joshua brings them into the promised land. And there they are. They start taking over the land of Canaan. And, and that becomes the promised land. Uh, through that area, there's a bunch of judges. You know, that, those, uh, Samson, uh, Gideon, Deborah, people like that. And then, then we get some kings. So the first king is Saul, then comes David, and then comes his son Solomon. And after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel splits. Okay, so you've got 10 tribes in the north. They become what they call the, 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 the kingdom of Israel. All right, say Israel. All right. On the south, you've got two tribes, Judah. All right, so Israel and Judah. Now, in our story here, and this is largely what would happen. In the north, uh, they were pretty wicked. There's basically no good kings that come out of the north. So as we read the books of First and Second Kings, there's essentially no good kings in the northern kingdom of Israel. And our king today is Ahab, all right, Ahab. And so he's the king of the north. He, the Bible describes him as the most wicked king. And part of that is because he married a woman named Jezebel who they were worshiping false gods. There's a god named Baal or Baal and they, would, um, they were worshiping this false god. Well, in the southern kingdom, that's where Jerusalem is, of Judah, uh, today's king, they had mostly bad kings, a couple good ones sprinkled in, but we have a good one today. His name is Jehoshaphat. Say Jehoshaphat. All right, you got it, good. So I always remember from Bugs Bunny cartoons, like, Jehoshaphat, you know? So anyways, you got Ahab up here, you got Jehoshaphat down here, and now they're gonna work together in our story today, okay? And so what happens, and part of the reason why Ahab gets himself in so much trouble is because he and his wife Jezebel are just insistent that they are not gonna listen to the word of God, all right? And so as a little side note, it's just important for us to know that, you know, at, at Southland's here, we, it's, it's not what we say, Okay, it's what he says. 
So we, we make the Bible authoritative. It is authoritative. We make it the, the guide for what we're doing. And we, it's really about what God is saying in Scripture. And we try to be faithful to that. So kiddos, what we always say is we say, God said it. So it's true. Okay, so, so you guys got to follow along. Let's try it again. God said it. Everybody. So it's true. Okay, so we always try to get the kid that in the, in the kid's mind because it is, if he's God and he's perfect, then when he speaks, it's got to be true. All right, so the first point that we're making here is this. Even the simplest decision must be subject to the word of God. So every decision that we're making, we bring to the Lord. Let's, let's get into our story here a little bit. I think you guys are going to enjoy this. Um, verse 1 here, First uh, Kings 22. For three years, there was no war between Aram and Israel. Israel's in the north. Aram is kind of the local enemy, okay, that they were constantly fighting against. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to see the king of Israel. Now, we get tripped up. It's not, he didn't go down. He's actually going north, but because Jerusalem was built on a hill, it's like he's kind of going down. So they didn't think north, up, south, down. They just, so that's what's happening. So he goes north up to Israel. The king of Israel had said to his officials, don't you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us and yet we are doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram? So he asked Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. All right, now remember, Ahab's worst king in all of the northern kingdom's history. Jehoshaphat is a, is a beloved, he's a good king in the south. He loved God, made his mistakes, but you know, he's forming this alliance now with his brothers in the north to retake Ramoth Gilead. That was a, a very important city that had, was originally part of Israel, but had been taken by these Arameans. And they're going to go get their land back. And it was really important because it would be like a buffer zone against these other enemies. And so it was a good choice to perhaps go get that land back. And it seems like a pretty easy decision. Now, Ahab, though, doesn't really care about seeking the Lord's advice in this, okay? When you think of a stubborn animal, what do you think of? A donkey, right? So I like to call Ahab a donkey, all right? And the reason is because he's so stubborn and he's not even considering going to God and asking. He's just saying, I stubbornly want to do my own thing. He's not a guy who prayed, probably because he was afraid it was going to contradict what he wanted to do. He's like that kid that goes and asks dad for ice cream money because he knows mama's going to say no. You know what I mean? Or, or he goes and does the wrong thing and plays dumb. And go, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. You know, he's that guy. Because donkeys in general, people who don't want to listen to the Lord, will do anything to avoid getting God involved. But Jehoshaphat, on the other hand, is godly. He's in, trying to involve God. And he says, yeah, it's, okay, it sounds like a good idea. Let's go to Ramoth Gilead, but let's seek the counsel of the Lord first. So he includes God in all of his decisions, big and small, whether it's what to do for the weekend or who to marry. And see, the godly person is going to involve God in their decision-making, not just say, I'm going to do what I want to do, and then I'm going to ask God to bless it. It's a very different thing. Even easy decisions get subjected to what God wants. So our second point here is this. You can always find an echo if you want to ignore God. Okay, when I say echo, it's kind of like this idea, and we know how this feels, right? You, you get around people that say what you want them to say. Like you could say it, and they essentially just echo back to you, kind of the echo chamber thing, the little snow globe effect, where we're, you know, we're in this world and we're only listening to people that, that reiterate what we think and, and feel. And so Ahab is looking for people who will echo back what he wants them to say. And so when he goes to these prophets and counselors, if they can say, well, God said this, even better. 
See, I'm sure De Jesse Duplantis had plenty of guys around him saying, oh yeah, Jesse, God certainly wants you to have the Falcon 7X. So we asked those people for $54 million. Anyway, so here's our fill-in. The donkey will look for the echo. Donkeys are going to constantly look for somebody to tell. They're, they're proud and arrogant. They want somebody to tell them what they want. Don't confuse me with the facts. All right? I just want to do what I want to do. And let's not fool ourselves, folks. We've all done this. Yeah? We've all done it. We've all said, I'm doing what I want to do. Uh, don't talk to me about why this is a bad decision. So let's look at verse 6. So the king of Israel, that's Ahab again, brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here who we can acquire of? The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, well, there's still one prophet through whom we can acquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. <laughs> he is Micaiah, son of Imlah. The king should not say such a thing, said Jehoshaphat. <laughs> so it's great because, you know, Ahab assembles all around him these 400 yes men, right? Prophets, and again, these would have been prophets of Baal, a false god. So they don't, their only skin in the game is to say, I'm going to tell the king what he wants because if I tell him what he wants, I'm going to keep my job and I'll probably keep my life. But if I go against the king's will, I'm losing my job for sure, and I might just lose my life. But so Ahab is this donkey that gathers around these guys, and he says, shall I go to war with Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? You know, oh yeah, king, oh yeah, go to war. And it's this really subtle sin, I think, that we have to avoid to try to make God's word or people around us that we trust echo what we want it to say. See, there's a lot of people, I think, that can take some obscure verse in Scripture and bend it to make it affirm what we like and what we want. It happens all the time. Unfortunately, I think some people are going to send themselves to hell with a Bible in their hands. But biblical discernment means, no, 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 I come to the Scripture determined to submit to it, not bend it to my own will, because this is the Word of God and I don't change it. I'm changed by it. And so the godly will look for truth. So if the donkey's going to look for an echo, the godly are going to look for truth. And that's why Jehoshaphat, I think, is asking for a prophet of God. He knows these 400 guys are a joke. This whole thing's a setup. He knows it's all manipulation. So he says, can we get a real prophet of the Lord in here? And so Ahab, you know, he knows of one. There's probably just about one left in Ahab's kingdom because they've all been chased away by Jezebel. But he, I love it. He says it. He goes, I hate him. <laughs> he never prophesies anything good about me. Only bad, right? And I'm thinking, you know, have you ever been hated because you had the courage to tell the truth? I hope so. I hope that's happened to you where you disappoint somebody because lovingly, but you, you tell somebody the truth. In fact, somebody told me years and years ago that integrity means disappointing somebody every day, right? So kiddos and teens, listen, I'll bet just about every day your parents do something that disappoints you, makes you mad, right? And uh, just so you know, though, that's called being a parent. <laughs> so for them to have integrity and to raise you right, you're, they're going to disappoint you just about every day because they're more concerned with you living in the truth than they are your feelings, 
right? They always say facts don't care about your feelings, right? And the fact is they want you to live in truth. And so kiddos, listen, teenagers especially, you don't want to be a donkey, all right? And you don't want an echo for a parent, right, mom and dad? All right, good. Okay, so it's funny, though, how when you look at the situation, how Ahab makes it about himself and about his feelings. He's like, you know, you picture how whiny he is. He never prophesies anything good about me, only bad. You know, it's just like, he's making it about himself. He's not prophesying about you. He's prophesying about a war where hundreds of people, thousands would die. It's not just about Ahab, but it's, he's making it all about him and his feelings. And he's trying to determine the will of God just by his feelings. You ever done that? <laughs> We've all done that. We're trying to figure out what God wants in our life. And instead of asking him and going to his word and living by biblical principles, we just go by what we're feeling in that moment. Well, it feels good. It feels right. Or sometimes we even call it, well, I'm being led by the spirit. Well, Okay. It may be the spirit, it may be Satan, it may be your, just your emotions, which are all over the place. It may be insomnia, insomnia or medication. It might be gas from last night's pizza, okay? I don't know what it is it's, that's changing your mood in the moment, but come on. You know, God's will is not all over the place and bending according to our moods and our emotions. No, the godly, they, they, they seek out and they know God's truth. They know it's consistent with his character and it's based on his word, period. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter how much you whine about it, all right? And that's for the adults too. That's not just the kids on that one. So kiddos, how about this though? What kind of choice should you make? The wise choice. The wise choice is to follow his word regardless of how you feel. Number three, only the word of God can be trusted for wise decisions. Okay, let's really get into the story here. Verse nine. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, at once. So Ahab's gonna go ahead and bring Micaiah in. He's willing to do it. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones by the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. Now Zedekiah, son of Kenaiah, Canaanah had made iron horns and declared, this is what the Lord says. With these, we will gore the Arameans until they're destroyed. You know, so he's making this big spectacle about his prophecy, you know, getting these horns. He's like, look, king, this is how we're going to treat these Arameans, you know. And all the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. So it's a big echo chamber, right? And the messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, as they're walking in, you can picture it, right? He says, hey, Micaiah, look. The other prophets out there, without exception, are predicting success for the king. Just today, please, dude, can you let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably? <laughs> it's like, look, I know you don't like Ahab and he disobeys God and you always got to tell him for some reason. He's like, don't be that guy today. Can you just go along with the program, please? So he's asking Micaiah, you know, to just, just say what they're saying so we can go to war, we can get Ramoth Gilead, we can get, end this whole spectacle. Can you just go along with it, please? But Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. So Micaiah is pretty stubborn himself, but in a good way, right? He's like, no, I'm not telling him what all these other guys are saying. I'm gonna tell him what the Lord says. Which shows us here, our first fill-in is that God's word is available, it, listen, if, if, if you want the echo, that's available. And if you want God's word, it's available. 
Ahab knew where he could have gone the whole time. He knew he could have gone to Micaiah and gotten a word from the Lord. He just doesn't like Micaiah because he didn't want to hear it from him. And so it's the same way. If you want to know the word of the Lord, just go right here. You got one. You got it on your phone. You know, we need to go to the, Lord, to the Lord's word. It is available. And praise God, we live in a country where we can go to church on a Sunday and bring our Bible with us without fear of imprisonment or death, right? We are blessed because there's, there's millions of brothers and sisters of ours around the world this morning who are risking their lives to go to church or to have a page or two of scripture. So the, praise God that the, world, the, the word is, a, is available to us. And so let's just be obedient then to what we already know. You know, I know there's a lot of times people will look at the Bible and they'll be like, it's just so big, you know, it's so thick, there's so much to know, and I don't know that much, and I wasn't raised in it, and whatever. I get it, I understand that, and we always want to learn and grow, but listen, if you just obeyed what you already know, you'd be in pretty good shape, right? There's a lot of stuff we know that we don't obey. Just obey what you already know, and, and that's the great first step. So the word's available, but it's also true. So let's say it again. God said it? So it's true. Okay, that wasn't so great. 9.30 was much better, by the way. Um, not that I'm comparing. Just kidding. And see, they would have laughed at that joke, too. So I don't know what is wrong with you guys. Everybody awake? We good? Okay. Um, no, but God's word is true. Um, it's true even when others tell us differently. So Micaiah is told by the servant, hey, come on, do this the easy way. Don't be that guy today. Just go along with the program. And, and Micaiah's like, no, I'm determined to tell the truth, even when others tell me differently and even if it's disagreeable. And I love it because that's real conviction that he has. So he says, I don't care if everybody agrees that the king should attack. The word of God is true. I don't care if all my teachers are telling me that we all came from amoebas through evolution. The word of God is true. I don't care if I have to compromise to get a promotion. The word of God is true. I don't care if they say that God can't be loving with all this evil in the world. The word of God is true. I don't care if people say that there's many paths to God. The word of God is true. I don't care if they say I'm on the wrong side of history. The word of God is true. I'm gonna make a wise decision based on God's truth regardless of how I feel or what other people are saying. See, the word of God is true in a second way here, even when we don't want it to be. So look at verse 15. It says, when, when he arrived, the king asked, all right, Micaiah, shall we go to war with Ramoth Gilead or not? And I love Micaiah. Part of the reason I love this story is Micaiah is so snarky and sarcastic. He's kind of a trash talker. I love that. So he's like, oh, king, attack and be victorious, you know, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. Now the king knows exactly what he's doing. He knows he's mocking him and making fun of all these other prophets and stuff. So the king says, how many times must I make you swear to tell me the truth in the name of the Lord? Dang it, Micaiah. You know, and the answer, by the way, to the question is never. The king never has to make Micaiah swear to tell him anything but the, or, you know, the word of the Lord. Because Micaiah always tells him the word of the Lord. But he's doing that as a front, Right? And so sarcastically, just like, oh, yeah, king, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Attack, you'll be victorious, making fun of all these other prophets. And, uh, but he knew that that wasn't true. The king knew it wasn't true. And so, again, I think in a situation like this, there's far too many times that we're a little bit more like Ahab than we are Micaiah, right? We know what God wants. We just don't want it to be true. 
Mark Twain uh, has a quote from years ago. He said, most people are bothered by those passages in Scripture which they cannot understand. But as for me, I've always noticed that the passages which trouble me the most are the ones I do understand. Right? Because those are the hard ones to do. You know, show me a verse I don't understand. I'm like, I'm not feel, don't feel responsible to it. No, but show me one I do understand. Now I got to do it. Well, it's also true. The word of God is also true, even when it's confrontive and costly. Confrontive and costly. So let's look at verse 17. Then Micaiah answered, and he's talking now to the king about a vision that he had seen as a prophet. He says, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. He's basically kind of making a prediction about the battle where the shepherd, the king, is going to be killed and, and the whole army now is in disarray and everybody's running away to go back home, scared. And then now he's talking about a vision that he, that he had of what was happening in heaven uh, before all this as God is communicating with the angels about how they're going to talk to Ahab. So look at what he says. Um, the king of Israel said to Joshphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesied anything good about me but only bad? So he turns to Joshphat and says, see what I'm saying? That's why I didn't want to bring this guy in here, you know. And Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and his left, all the angels. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. And finally a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I'll entice him. And by what means, the Lord asked. Well, I'll go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. The Lord said, you will succeed in enticing him. Go and do it. <laughs> so Micaiah is now telling the king what was happening in heaven about all this. And all these, they're saying, how are we going to deceive Ahab into going into this battle? And one of them said, well, I'll just, I'll be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of these 400 prophets and get him to do it that way. And the Lord's like, all right, go ahead. So of course that, the other 400 prophets are thrilled with that news, right? And so, so now now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Again, you think about the, the, how confrontive Micaiah is here. But look, then Zedekiah, son of Canaanah, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. <laughs> and he says, which way did the spirit of the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you? So now there's a little drama, a cat fight going on. He says, oh yeah, psh, you know, where did the spirit of the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you? So wh what makes you right and me wrong? Right? And then Micaiah is going to fight back. He says, uh, well, you'll find out on the day you go and hide in the inner room then. So he's saying, you know, when you guys lose the battle and all you prophets are found out to be liars, you're going to go run away, little boy. And you're going to be hiding in an inner room, fearing for your life. So you could see this little, I mean, this would be a great scene to like dramatize in a movie or something. But then the king of Israel, so again, Ahab then ordered, take Micaiah, send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, and Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison and give him another bread and water until I return safely. So he says, when I get back, I'll deal with Micaiah, but until then, put him in prison. So it costs him. It costs Micaiah. He gets slapped in the face. gets thrown in prison. It's like, well, does it cost us anything to live in truth? I mean, do we get teased ever at work or school for trying to live for Christ and be moral? Do we ever get maybe misunderstood by our family because they feel convicted about our lifestyle living for Christ? I mean, does your truth telling ever hurt you relationally when you speak the truth in love, but other people take it as being judgmental? Does it cost you to give money sacrificially to God's kingdom? Does it cost your busy schedule and pinch a little bit when you're asked to serve and, serve and donate your time? See, if you're going to live true to the word, it's going to be costly. 
and sometimes confront him. But another thing about the word is that it's clear. God's word is clear. And so I love this scene because in order to make the whole thing crystal clear for the king, Micaiah on his way out, you can picture him, you know, hands behind the back. The guys are dragging him out. And he says, and Micaiah declared, it should be yelled, I imagine, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. And then he added, mark my words, all you people. <laughs> like you can just picture him getting dragged out. Oh yeah, king, if you ever come back, then I'm not a prophet of God and you can kill me because that's what happens to false prophets. Mark my words, you know, and just, it'd be great. What a great dude. And so he's saying, look, I can't be any more clear than this right here. You're going to die today and you're going to lose this battle. And uh, he says, if I'm wrong, then kill me. So the fourth part here is ignoring God's word brings consequences. Ignoring God's word brings consequences. So I don't know if you know this, but um, today there are 13,462 people in the Flat Earth Society. Okay, it was funny. After the second service, somebody looked it up and they said that they have members globally. <laughs> Dude, so stupid. You know, and, but the, the, the president says, he goes, I've been a flat earther my whole life. When I saw the globe in grade school, I didn't accept it. To me, it was illogical. And I looked up on their website this week and this is what it says right on the front page. Within the, these digital pages, you can expect to find the skepticism and understanding needed to break free from the constraints of conventional dogmatic thinking and brave the pioneering waters of true science and learning. I love America. <laughs> I love America because it's like, dude, I mean, hey, dude, you're free to believe that. Go on ahead. You know what I mean? Just go, go ahead. But please don't call it pioneering the waters of true science and learning because one of the great things about America is you got to take responsibility for that kind of stupidity because, you know, there are, just so we know, we understand there are consequences for being a donkey of that magnitude. And so unfortunately, and this happens in life, is that if you disagree and you ignore God's word that's available, true, and clear, there are consequences. We see it with Ahab right here in verse 29. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, okay, this is their big plan, all right? I'll enter the battle in disguise, but you wear the royal robes. So they're fighting for Ahab's land, and he tells Jehoshaphat, hey, buddy, how about this? You go into battle in the royal robes, which is basically like a big fat red target on you. And I'm going to be in plain clothes hanging out here with the guys in the back. What do you think? And Joshua's like, okay. <laughs> you know, and Joshua goes along with it. I don't know what he was thinking. Um, so the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Aram had ordered his 32 chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone small or great except the king of Israel. He's after Ahab, their enemies. So they turned to attack him. But when Jehoshaphat cried out, the chariot commander saw that it was not the king of Israel and stopped pursuing him. So I don't know what was going on with Jehoshaphat. Maybe his voice sounded like a girl's or something. I, I, he screamed and they go, oh, that's not Ahab. You know, something happened where they knew it was Jehoshaphat. Get this. But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long the battle raged, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran in the floor of the chariot, and that, that evening he died. As the sun was setting, a cry spread through the army, every man to his town, every man to his land. Sounds just like what Micaiah had predicted. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried him there. 
You see, God gives us the freedom to believe his word or believe the echo. But if we stubbornly hear only the echo, we're responsible for the consequences of our choices. Right? I mean, look at this verse. But someone drew a bow at random and hit the king between the sections of his armor? I mean, is that a coincidence? No. No, it's not. I don't think so. Ahab took every precaution to save himself from the Lord's sharpshooting arrows, and it failed. And Jehoshaphat rides in the battle with a big fat target on him, and he's safe. Right? My friends and I used to always say, well, what are the chances of that? And the answer was always 100%. <laughs> right? Because really, if the Lord's involved in it, what are the chances of, well, it's 100%. Because the Lord's going to fulfill his word. He's going to make it happen. And so I just think that, you know, if you're living in this, like, kind of self-inflicted deception, refusing to do God's will and the things that you know are right, if you only want an echo, then you should know there are consequences for that kind of rejection. And God does hold us accountable for not obeying. You can't escape his arrows. I, I, I often describe it like this. It's just as simple as, you know, God says, hey, I want you to do this. And we're just like, I ain't doing that. Or if he says, hey, don't do that. And we're like, I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. It's pretty much that simple. It's willful disobedience to the commands that we know, to the conscience that he's given us, to the things that God has said. And if you do, we, you know, you, you can run for a little while. You can kind of escape for a while. But those things come back. I mean, a lot of times they describe God's wrath in two different ways. That like active wrath, when God like has a guy shoot an arrow and hit you between your, the sections of your armor. And another one they say is passive wrath. Sometimes God just, okay, you want to do that? All right. Let me let you continue in your sin and I will just let you swim in the consequences of what those poor life choices are doing. And, and, and the way out of it is just to submit to his will, right? And to say, God, I trust you, right? Kiddos, what do we always say? I can trust God no matter what, no matter what. You can trust his word is true, clear, available, and you can trust that it's everything you need. So you can go kicking and screaming and stubbornly wanting only what you want, or you can try to do what you want to do and ask God to turn around and bless it, or you can come to God humbly and ask him for a relationship and say, God, I've done all these things wrong. I've got, I've got all this sin and for years I've been running away from you and, for, and, and I've been disobeying you in all these different ways and the, way that, and the way I act and the things I say and the things I think. And Lord, I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. And I, I need you to forgive my sin. Please, I beg you. And, and, and that's what he wants. He wants to take away all the years. And you know, you might be a great guy. And you got all these good things about you, fine. But you have sin as well. We all do. And it's only when you submit yourself to his will and you say, God, I cannot save myself. I need you to do it. And he's already done it on the cross 2,000 years ago. Would you just let that apply to you? He's, he's, he's giving you this gift, holding it out for you, begging you to take it. But he's not going to force your hand. You have to reach out and take grace, forgiveness from him and say, Lord, humbly, I accept it. Would you please forgive me? I'm sorry for the things I've done, but I want to be adopted into your family. I want to be your child and be with you forever. Folks, that's, that's how it is. 
And so let's, let's say the, the title with me. Everybody say it together. God's Word. Okay, come on now. Everybody together. Here we go. God's Word is true above the world's echo. Let's go one last story and then we'll be done. So there's this kid named Billy. He's not an especially uh, obedient kid. And so he asks his mom for a new bike. And his mom knows, you know, that he's not a good kid necessarily. And she says, okay, Billy, tell you what, it's not Christmas, it's not your birthday, and I don't have the money right now. Why don't you write a letter to Jesus, tell him all the reasons why you think you should have a bike, and then you can pray for one instead. She wants him to kind of think about what he's doing, his life choices and stuff. So big temper tantrum, go to your room for a while and write your letter. So he goes in the room, he's writing his letter. Okay, so he sits down, he's got pen, here we go. And he's like, okay, um, dear Jesus, I've been a good boy this year. I'd appreciate a new bicycle. Your friend, Billy. Nah, that ain't gonna work. He knows. Uh, okay, let's try. Dear Jesus, I've been an okay boy this year. I really want a new bike. Yours truly, Billy. Shoot, that's not gonna work either. Uh, okay, uh, dear Jesus, I've thought about being a good boy this year. Can I have a new bike, Billy? Oh, man. Dang it. You know, so he's... A little upset, while passes, he asks his mom, Mom, can I go for a walk in the neighborhood? So he does, and he's going around, and, he's, and, he, and he passes by the little church on the corner. There's a Catholic church on the corner, and he walks in. Thinks, Maybe this will help. And he sees all these people kind of kneeling and praying, and he, so he gets on his knees, and he's praying. He has no idea what to do, you know, and he's kind of like looking around, and maybe that'll work, but he's not feeling it. He's getting bored. He doesn't know what to do. So he's like, okay, I can't do this. So he walks out of the church, and as he's walking out, he sees um, all these little statues there. So he grabs a statue of Mary, all right, and then he runs home, puts the, the statue underneath his bed, you know, write another letter. Jesus, I've got your mama. If you ever want to see her again, give me a bike. Signed, you know who. <laughs> and uh, listen, <laughs> there's been a lot of times all of us have tried to like hold God hostage. Come on, God, I do all these things for you. You owe me a bike. I, you know, I've lived this way for you. you or, or you just feel like um, God, for whatever reason, owes you certain things. But listen, you can't know the future, but we do have God's word, all right? It, this is everything we need for life and godliness. It, this is his will for you. If you want to know the future, here it is. Live according to this. And you can try to force God's hand and go through lives on your intuition and gut. You can try to do what you want and ask God to bless it. But if you only hear the echo, I promise you, you're going to be miserable. Or you can joyfully submit to his word, knowing that his word is true above the world's echo. All right, let's pray. Lord, we do love you. We praise you. God, I thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, I praise you for your word and your will. I thank you that, Lord, you know all things, and so you know our hearts. Lord, you love us, and so you want the right things for us. That you have all power, and so you certainly have the power to bring those things about. And Lord, what you ask is for our heart, mind, soul, and strength to be devoted to you, and so that you can, you can bless us, Lord. And Lord, even just yesterday, you know, I, I was listening to a, a podcast, and it said, if you, everybody wants the blessing of God, but if you are disobedient and you can't get the blessing of God, you will demand it from men. 
And Lord, I think there's been a lot of people who are demanding blessings from other people because they know they can't get it from you because they won't submit. So Lord, help us to do that. Lord, I pray for the lives of all these kiddos in here. I pray that all of us, Lord, would grow to be godly men and women until we see you face to face. It's in your name we pray, amen.